This is Unfilter, episode 347 for February 3rd. 2021. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell's condemnation of conspiracy theories seems to be aimed at calling out controversial Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. The statement reads, in part, loony lies and conspiracy theories are cancer for the Republican Party and our country. But Congresswoman Greene fired back, saying the real cancer for the Republican Party is weak Republicans who only know how to lose gracefully. This is why we are losing our country. Hello, friends, and welcome into the People's History Podcast. This was a weird one to put together this week. There's so much going on that just sort of spans a wide spectrum. Now, one of the things that I, I've decided to do is I'm going to give one more crack at that there over time. So I'm going to have some spillover stories, some that really matter. They just don't really fit with everything we're doing. I'm going to have that up on unfilter.tube as well as a replay of the live stream we did today. I'm doing this one live just because I felt like Maybe it would be good to do a live stream when there isn't some disaster going on. So that way our community comes together for other reasons. It was a bit last minute, but that was my logic. And, I, you know, we'll see how it goes. It keeps it fresh for me, and that's fun. So let's start with COVID this week. I, you know, I had so many things to pick from, but I felt like we should still check in on this, especially for future versions of us who might be listening back and trying to remember what it was like, because now we've turned the corner. Two months ago, when we were talking about nearly rounding the corner, that was preposterous. But now, now we can now we can say it. We've rounded the corner. Because yesterday was the first day that the number of total vaccinations is more than the total number of cases since this all began last year. And that number should only grow and keep cases and hospitalizations down. And since we first took you on the ground to Louisiana and followed some of the very first doses ever delivered back in December. The rollout has really ramped up with a record average of 1.4 million shots per day being given, and it's probably actually more than that, which means we could have 100 million shots in arms by early to mid-March. And that doesn't even take into account a new J&J and or AstraZeneca vaccine that gets rolled out. So let's check back in where this all began Bring in Paul Dixon, Jr., Vice President of Operations at Morris & Dixon, the 180-year-old family-run company, one of the largest drug distributors in America, who graciously allowed us in to watch them work in the very early days. Much better than those 22-year-olds who got in big trouble and ended up with just helping out their buddies. <laughs> much better, much better. So that's a pretty big number, though. I mean, that's a nice milestone. You know, when you look at it, average doses administered per day right now, 1.4 million. Um, total vaccinations, 32.2 million versus total cases, 26 million. I guess in a lot of ways, that's a sign that things are truly turning the corner. But it's it's also been a historic week for another reason. And I've been really trying to wrap my head around how to even talk to you guys about this one, because what the hell does this story tell us? And I, you've probably seen the charts floating around. You know, people have been sharing graphs and we're not sure if it's real or not. That's been a big thing during the uh, corona pandemic. Lots of charts, unsourced charts. <laughs> but have you seen that one about flus, about flu cases? Stick with me here for a second. Have you seen the, 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 the charts that claimed like flu cases were historically low? Well, I, I wondered, is that true? 
Is that true or not? And I was trying to find some legitimate reporting on it. And then look what happens here. My local CBS affiliate right here in Seattle ran a story just on this. Doctors say something really remarkable is happening in this pandemic that very few people are even talking about. This is typically flu season, but somehow influenza seems to have disappeared and they don't know why. And Somehow, guys. Kyra 7's Gary Horker joins us now. A doctor tells you, Gary, what is happening is historic and it actually needs to be studied. Yeah, he's excited about this. This is some bright news in a dark time. You remember when doctors warned about something that coined a phrase called a twindemic? There were concerned people this time of year could be infected with coronavirus and influenza at the same time. Well, not only did that not happen, Monique, he tells me there are fewer recorded influenza cases this season than at any time in recorded history. Wow. Now that's, that is remarkable. Are, uh, can you believe, I got to do Influenza cases this season that at any time in recorded history. That's Some remarkable. doctors say it's because we're all used to wearing a mask and we're staying away from other people. But others theorize it's because so many of us are getting flu shots this year. But any way you cut it, doctors say there are virtually no flu cases at all this season, which they call one of the great mysterious vanishing acts of a virus doctors have ever seen. It's a mysterious vanishing act. And it's not just the Puget Sound area. It's across the entire United States. And it must be because of masking and social distancing. It must be, right? Except January and December, which is when this data is from, for the flu, were the worst months in the entire pandemic for the United States. The absolute worst. Absolute worst. January was devastating. Coronavirus and the flu are the same size at the molecule level. So how can the masking not be working for coronavirus? And we're being consistently told people are not masking up enough. Got to mask up. But then at the same time, they can claim, well, all the masking and social distancing is preventing the flu. How can it prevent the flu but not prevent the coronavirus? They're a lot more similar than we're even allowed to talk about. I know that's an anti-thought that I'm not allowed to have. But at the actual molecular level here, where the masks are operating, this is a hell of a, this is a, hell of a paradox here, isn't it? Recorded influenza cases this season that at any time in recorded history. Some doctors say it's because we're all used to wearing a mask and we're staying away from other people. But others theorize it's because so many of us are getting flu shots this year. But any way you cut it, doctors say there are virtually no flu cases at all this season, which they call one of the great mysterious vanishing acts of a virus doctors have ever seen. Somehow we decided to shoo the flu. I don't know that we did it on purpose. I'm not sure we can take credit for it. It's one of the great mysteries of public health and epidemiology is where is the influenza? Last flu. Now, okay. Okay. Again, we can't have we can't have these two things be true, that Corona is spreading because of lack of masks and flu is not spreading because of masks. season, the CDC said there were 38 million flu cases in the United States, 405,000 people were hospitalized and 22,000 people died. In the last several months in Washington state, there have been zero documented deaths because of the flu. Now, let's just back up for a second. 
There could be a very simple answer here, couldn't there? It's simply the way the CDC is calculating the numbers. I mean, we've looked at the way the coronavirus deaths are counted. And some people have questioned, well, should that death count as a coronavirus death or should that should that death count as a car accident? And you could argue some should and some shouldn't. But what we've learned through this process is there's a different financial structure when there's a coronavirus related death versus something else. We've learned that there is an inclination to count these as a certain type of death than something else. What we're seeing here is simply just different data. The data is being now used. They're, they're logging them as coronavirus cases. It seems pretty clear. It's just we're getting fed. It's not a different data stream. It's just different things are now being monitored, and there's different incentives in the structure to categorize things as other things than in the past. And this is just the end result of it. This is the symptom here. It's vanishing acts of a virus doctors have ever seen. Somehow we decided to shoo the flu. I don't know that we did it on purpose. I'm not sure we can take credit for it. It's one of the great mysteries of public health and epidemiology is where is the influenza? Last flu season, the CDC said there were 38 million flu cases in the United States, 405,000 people were hospitalized, and 22,000 people died. In the last several months in Washington state, there have been zero documented deaths because of the flu. It's not just a Puget Sound thing. That's not just Washington state. It's the entire country. In fact, it's most of our planet. Dr. Paul Pottinger, who studies infectious disease, partially credits the flu shot. As of Christmas Day, 192.3 million doses of flu vaccine had been given to people in the United States, and that's the most ever delivered. Between this time last year and March, flu cases were very high and even raging in some places around our state. And then quite suddenly, around March 20th, when we were all locked down for the first time, those high flu numbers dropped straight down to nearly zero, and they just stayed that way. I think saying it's the lockdown is maybe just as accurate as saying it's when we started tracking everything as coronavirus. And I don't know what this leaves me with other than I guess you can never really trust the data. <laughs> I don't really know. Uh, I, I, but it's a hell of a phenomenon. And it's kind of like touching the third rail just even talking about this. I don't know what it is. It, we've gotten to this point now where even even talking about something that's counter narrative is is considered dangerous. It's like one step removed from violence now. And entire careers, which we'll get to in a moment, will be destroyed if you dabble in the black magic of conspiracy theories. So, heaven forbid that I have any bacon about the WHO team going to China and being taken on a grand tour. So we've heard this report that a team's going in now to Wuhan to figure out what happened, what was the cause of the coronavirus, except for they're all in the bag for China and they're literally being dri driven around on buses like a tourist being shown exactly what the Chinese government wants them to see. The World Health Organization team has been shuffling on and off buses, whisked around Wuhan to investigate the origins of COVID-19. It looks carefully stage-managed, with the press kept at a distance. But one member of the team, in his first interview with a British broadcaster since arriving in China, insists they are asking tough questions and making real progress. A lot of people saying, well, this is effectively going to be a Potemkin tour of what China wants you to see, wants the world to see, and therefore lacks credibility. Is that a fair assessment? 
No, you know, we, yeah, we're loaded into buses and we go to visit places, but we don't just wander around and take a few pictures. We look into things. We ask questions. We say, why is this here? Boy, can you, you can just feel how ineffective this is going to be. And then the useless results that they come back with will be cited as gospel. Because, you know, it's the WHO. You're not allowed to question the WHO. What happened then? We're we talking to the people who collected the samples from the floor of the market that then tested positive. Even more important. Just that statement kind of indicates he's already bought in on a particular narrative. Obviously. The samples from the floor of the market that then tested positive. Even more important is the data that Chinese scientists have been collecting over the last year. I mean, they are sharing data with us that, that we've not seen before. That Data that they've had years to curate, or I mean a year to curate. <laughs> no one's seen before. They are talking with us openly about every possible pathway. I mean, it's just, the, the communist government of China is like the most meticulous staged image. I mean, they make Putin riding a bear look like amateur stuff, really. So the idea, I mean, they're getting this handheld tour. I mean, the idea that they're going to get anything of value out of it's laughable, especially when the data they're collecting is the data that's being hand-selected. You know, it's not like, you know, the idea, it's quaint because we really don't, we don't really know how it works. But the idea that forms in our mind is that these WHO representatives go over there and they talk to the scientists directly and the scientists hand them a big bundle of data. Laughable, right? That's naive. The way this is working is a certain group of scientists that have been tasked by the government are working on this. Then they send the paperwork up to some middle management layer who curates what goes through, and then they send it up to the higher, the people that are closer to the delegate level, and that's who interfaces with the WHO. So it goes through multiple levels of filtering. So the idea that they're getting like this raw data feed directly from the scientists, everybody wearing their little scientist jacket, high-fiving each other is ridiculous. <laughs> it's this manipulated feed of data that they're going to get. Oh, I wish we could trust the WHO on this, but I just really don't. I don't buy it. I think they've... I don't think they have represented them themselves very well in this entire thing. So, Fauci also has just been a hot mess. And I know, again, I'm touching the third rail here. But this guy, this guy is all over the map on stuff. So last week, I played the clips about the experts that were telling us we got a double mask up or maybe even triple mask up. You'll recall Shep had uh, a rep. Um, who I can't even remember her name now. Maybe I should play it. I mean, I've got it here. Why do, why do I have to explain it to you when I could just go recap it for you? Um, you remember we had Shep on, and Shep Smith had a guest on to explain the double mask science, as you'll recall. ABC's Contessa Brewer with us now to break down the science behind double masking and what we're all supposed to do. Contessa? Hi there, Shep. Yeah, the experts keep telling us that experts. wearing masks is really about protecting ourselves, protecting others from ourselves in the event that we are contagious. But, you know, if other people aren't wearing their masks or they're wearing them improperly, we need to protect ourselves. So experts say you can double up with a tight weave fabric mask. Experts say again, this is important. For added protection. Now, Virginia Tech researchers found that doubling up these cloth masks increases the efficacy from 50 to 75 percent. A three-layer mask could block up to 90% of the particles. And if you're layering your mask, the disposable surgical mask goes on first, and then the tight-fitting fabric mask goes right over the top. 
Okay, so frontline healthcare workers use N95 masks. They're hard to find. And some experts say, look, you should really save those for the medical teams. Others say, if you see them on sale, go ahead, just protect yourself. But the Chinese version, KN95 masks are widely available. They're advertised as being five layers. I bought these on Amazon. I wore them through the airport and on the plane for a recent news assignment. I love that that's the scientific test. Well, you know, I wore them. The trick with this is really this fit, tight around your nose, your face, your chin. In other words, you really should see the mark on your face after you're wearing it. You can also buy these double layer fabric masks. They come with a filter like this one. You can take it out and you wash it separately. But Shep, in every instance, fit is the key here. Yeah, no doubt. And as they say on the label, if you have facial hair, you got to cut it because they're not effective with it. That's my favorite part of this whole thing. That's my absolute favorite part. Is all these all these guys like me walking around with their beards. Now, what really so the Virginia Tech, they put that study out on January 15th. So that's not what got this in the news. What got this in the news is Fauci was asked, "Hey, should people double mask?" and, and he, he said like, "Yeah, in my opinion, I think they should." I'm paraphrasing. That's what kicked all of this off. Experts this, experts that. It was Fauci Say, I kind of have an opinion about this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, two masks are going to filter better than one mask because those masks are doing jack shit for you. So, of course, doubling up is going to do more. Now, Fauci's like, eh, you know. There are many people who feel, you know, if you really want to have an extra little uh, bit of protection, maybe I should put two masks on. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's no data that indicates that that is going to make a difference. And that's the reason why... The CDC has not changed the recommendation. Now, I thought it was experts. I thought it was data. I thought it was science, science, science. Now Fauci's saying, well, there's no data. So which one is it? Which one is it? And you see, this is this is the shit I'm talking about when it comes to people not being able to trust the experts and why it's so insulting if you dare say, well, I'm not sure I agree with Fauci on this or you question Fauci on something. Well, then you're a Luddite, right? Then you're a moron. You're anti-science. You're, you're dangerous. You're a dangerous conspiracy monger, probably a Putin puppet. And it's but then I can play these clips and I can demonstrate that there's clearly justification in questioning things like are single paper masks or people that are wearing pantyhose or a scarf over their face or these, you know, like these these really super stretchy thin ones that are really easy to put in your pocket. But they're not doing anything. It's a placebo. And then you look at the flu data, the flu data where they say, oh, it's because of social distancing and masking in January and December. But then they'll also say January and December were our worst cases for worst month for covid cases because people aren't masking up. And the conclusion that I am left with. Is that we've been duped, not that not about the effectiveness of masks, because honestly, I've said this before on the show. If we could make this mask stuff work. I think it wouldn't be bad for a culture of when you're sick or if you're vulnerable to being sick, it's socially acceptable for you to mask up. You have to remember that here in the United States, before COVID, you couldn't walk into a bank wearing a mask. Now you can't walk into a bank without a mask. I mean, it's a big shift that's happened in the last 11 months here. So I feel like maybe some of this should stick because I am sick and tired of getting getting what you got. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so if we can make that work, I'm all about it. I don't want it to be mandatory. I don't want it to be forced. 
but I'd like it to be socially acceptable for those who choose to continue to use masks. That's my that's my position on it. I'm not an anti-mask person. But man, am I anti-bullshit. And the conclusion that I am left with is that we have been duped into making the masks the reason why coronavirus has been so devastating to our country. We've been duped into fighting each other once again by our leadership who pointed the finger at anti-maskers to create a boogeyman. You know, these Trump-supporting conspiracy theorists, anti-maskers who believe in QAnon and are burning 5G towers down. They're why coronavirus is spreading. And our anger went to the anti-maskers and the people who weren't shutting down their shops instead of going at our leadership. Instead of holding our leadership accountable, we fought each other over masks. We fought each other over paper and cloth masks that were doing jack shit. And we fell for it. And then when one of us put our hand up and said, um, I'd like to question the dogma. He got dogpiled on. He was the dangerous one. Like sheep. Like sheep. We were tricked into fighting each other. Instead of focusing our anger at our leadership for their failed response to this. I mean, look at how ineffective the lockdowns were. They were extremely devastating. They were devastating in a way that our country will never be the same again. Our country is now going to be Walmart and Amazon and Home Depot and McDonald's. And one of my favorite aspects of taking road trips around this giant country has been the microcultures that you find. And part of what makes those microcultures rich is the small businesses that are owned by the local residents. That's what made it so great. And we've wiped probably 40% of them out. I don't know. I don't know. I hope that number is not correct. According to Yelp, it's probably correct. I hope not. And for what? The worst, the worst deaths we've had in months? Finally, things are starting to kind of get better now? So we can kind of calm down about it? Instead of holding our leadership accountable for that, we fought over mass. It's really disappointing. And they probably, you know, and it probably just got us, it got us so little. <clears throat> so let's change gears. Let's change topics because that just gets me all kinds of upset. We may need some faith healers. <laughs> uh, and why we just wait out for herd immunity, I kid, I want to talk about stonks. This game stops stuff. We just touched on it last week. And between last week and this episode, an entire year's worth of events have transpired. <laughs> And I know not all not all of you are super into this story or you've heard too much about it. So we're we're not going to like dwell on it, but I want to talk about it with you a little bit. This this GameStop story is a really interesting one for people in our audience. Something has happened here akin to a moment like uh, I don't want to compare it to that. But there's sometimes moments in history that sort of shift things a little bit. And I think this was one of them. And you could see that, like last week, the, the 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 establishment, if you will, just really struggled with how to process this, how to even kind of frame it. And there was a lot of trial balloons, and some of them popped. I am very grateful to say, pretty early on. And I think the one that kind of popped and fizzled the hardest was people who tried to pin this on Russia, 
were just kind of laughed at. GameStop, if you don't know, it's a video game store. And like a lot of businesses, they've been struggling because of COVID, but also because most people buy games online now. And yet, despite a sharp decline in sales, over the past six months, their stock price has grown by 8,000% because a bunch of amateur investors, maybe even some Russian disruptors who are part of a Reddit community called Wall Street Bets, decided to buy a bunch of GameStop stock. Russia! <laughs> I got some great links in the show notes that talk about how people were calling this years ago, this entire play. It's it's really remarkable. So there, are the, there was that angle. Let's pin it on Russia. It's it's not it's not a populist movement. It's not the people striking out against Wall Street. It's Russia. Others tried to play the the care angle. They care about the little guy getting hurt because he's too dumb to know better. And you know, maybe they're just like those people who go on Instagram and fawn after models that are prettier than themselves and then cut. Yep, that's actually what they said. Maybe you're learning here. Maybe it's fun. Fine. Maybe it's a movement. But be prepared to lose 80 to 90 percent of it. And if it's still worth it, then have at it. But the biggest loss of capital here will be the human capital of young men who are sitting and staring at their phone and watching the price of Bitcoin or the price of AMC. And ask yourself, would you be better off taking that one, two or three hours a day and working out, trying to form relationships with mentors, with 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 romantic relationships, with people at work? getting great at something so you can be the person on the other side of the trade. The greatest loss in, in capital here is, is from young men who are more prone to gambling addiction, who don't understand uh, the markets. I think we are setting ourselves up similar to how there's a ton of young women out there who became very depressed by sitting in their rooms looking at Instagram, self-cutting and self-harm skyrocket. I think you are going to see uh, uh, an explosion in young male depression, and I think a lot of it is going to be reverse engineered to apps that convince you you're part of a movement or physically addict you to your phone. Ask yourself, would your time staring at Robin Hood be, be better spent somewhere else? That is the real capital destruction that is taking place here. Says the guy who's made a living staring at stocks. Isn't that remarkable? See, you're just too dumb, and you're going to end up cutting yourself like a silly little girl. Can you believe this guy? The sexist bastard. It's, it's amazing. Some people, though, they were just, they took the more pissed route. I think you've probably seen this one. This is a New York hedge fund billionaire. And what really is the problem, and he just, you know, he's going to tell you right here because you need to hear it, you silly kids. It's because you got that stimulus money from Uncle Sam and you're sitting around in your basement having fun. The reason the market is doing what it's doing is people are sitting at home getting the checks from the government, okay, and this fair share is a bullshit concept. <laughs> it's just a way of attacking wealthy people. And, you know, I think it's inappropriate. We all got to work together and pull together. It's bullshit that you're doing this. This system isn't for the little guy. It's for the big guys. But the best thing about this Wall Street Bets and GameStop story is that a totally new category of public are waking up to how rigged this system is. Not the market. I mean, not just the market. That's the great thing about this story. It's not just the market. It's the way the companies work together with each other on the back end. The way the media labels people as crazy Russian puppets. The laughable way they label people as Russian assets. assets. And because the story is getting so much attention, it's happening at a large, massive scale. 
what we essentially have is a little mini populist movement. A populist movement that isn't attached to a politician. It's not attached to Donald Trump, not attached to Bernie Sanders. What that indicates to me is what's going on here. These people that have voted to broke the system with Donald Trump, these people that want somebody like Bernie Sanders to come in and upend the way the system works for the middle class, and even these crazy autists on Reddit, it's a populist movement that's completely of its own. It's a self-generating one. And the fundamentals, a common communication platform, uh, easy trading, easy communication, being able to post analysis, it's all there. This really kicked off with some, you know, just hobby analysis on YouTube a while ago, which then fed into a Reddit thread discussion and et cetera, et cetera. And from there you have all of this. And I spent some time in the chats, chat rooms um, when they got their Discord shut down. A lot of the Wall Street Bets people moved to Telegram. It's the largest Telegram group I've ever been. And I think when I was in it, there was over 15,000 members. And they had a voice chat going 24-7. And there was usually just under 900 people in the voice chat, which you can imagine is pretty crazy. But they managed to make it work for the most part. And I spent a couple of days in there just listening, trying to get a feel for these people. And I can see why the media would be concerned about their language because they use things like the R word. But the bigger thing that I noticed is that nobody was buying any of the official narratives. It's everything I've talked about on this show. There's a total lack of trust in any institution right now. They're laughing at the media. It's kind of the way we do here on this show. Only they're individually doing it. They, there is so many people out there, and we label them as Trump supporters, but it's just people that have the ability to self-educate. It's just people that have the ability to hold two ideas in their head at the same time, and the people that have the willingness to listen for a little bit. And that, that goes beyond any political party. And there were people, there were walks of all life. I, I listened to a black lady give investing advice to somebody, I think, who might have been Italian, but I'm not exactly sure. You know, some southern black lady talking to some Italian guy across the globe, giving each other advice. And there's nothing about politics in there. In fact, the, the community is hyper-focused. They don't like any of that other stuff coming in there. They're about making money. <laughs> it's really something. And I thought Glenn Greenwald put it really good. Uh, Cucker Tuckerson had him on his show. And Glenn says that this story has really revealed how the system actually works to so many more people. And I 100% am on board with this. In the hedge funds. There are a whole bunch of different power centers in the United States, many of which we often openly discuss, the intelligence community, Silicon Valley, the U.S. government, lobbyists. Obviously, one of the most important and powerful, if not the most powerful, is Wall Street and hedge funds in particular on Wall Street who are at the top of that food chain. And we almost never talk about how it is that they get to be multi-billionaires without really producing anything of value, just leeching right. off the American economy, taking huge amounts of money in exchange for nothing. Whatever you think of Silicon Valley, they get exactly. rich at least by producing something, whatever you think of those products. These totally people agree. produce nothing. They just take and they just take and they take. And so for the first time, not only are we seeing them have pain in 
inflicted on them, not by people who are stealing from them or who are committing crimes, but people who have figured out their game and learned how to exploit it by doing what they should do, which is be studying it. But they're also getting dragged out into the sunlight. So for the first time, we're talking about people like Melvin Capital and Citadel and hedge fund short sellers and understanding what it is that they're doing to this country. And it only happened, Tucker, because the Internet, a free Internet, when it's free, enables citizens to band together in large enough numbers to challenge these ruling class elites. And that's why we talk so much about the imperative nature of defending the Internet from surveillance, defending it from censorship. It is a very powerful weapon in the hands of citizens against ruling class elites. And that's why they're so bent upon seizing it back, controlling it, regulating it and censoring it. And now I think maybe some of the fun is over, at least uh, this iteration. But I wonder if what's happened underneath all of this, people realizing they could come together and really mess with the system. I mean, there were reports at one point of a hedge fund losing $70 billion. You got a lot of politicians to come out and kind of show their colors as well. That was really useful. So now where does it go? Stocks surging on Wall Street today, the Dow climbing 476 points for its best day since November. All 11 S&P sectors posting gains led by financials. But check out what happened to the high-flying names like GameStop, AMC, Cost, Express, and BlackBerry. They all came crashing down today. So what should we make of this market action? Um, Steve, I think there are a lot of people who are, who are jumping at the chance to say this proves that all of this is over. Is it? I don't know about that. We shall see. There, there is one kind of silver lining story, and I, I have, again, links in the show notes at unfilter.show slash 347. Uh, AMC is in much better shape. Ironically, the people may have just saved AMC, <laughs> the, the theater change. And that, that would really be delightful because I really look forward to being able to go back with my family and watching a movie. It's, it's always a great experience. So uh, that I really love. I love seeing that Robin Hood, the bastards over Robin Hood, uh, also made out like banshees in this. They got a bunch of investment, got a ton of new signups. And right now they're pretty much the only game in town that kind of does what they do in the ease that they do. But you can guarantee somebody else is coming along. And the community over at Wall Street Bets is talking more and more about decentralized platforms. And they're talking about open source. And it really has shown them that platforms that are not under their control are a risk. And I, I don't know how else you teach human beings that kind of lesson when it comes to technology. That's a lesson that I think very few people actually ever have the chance to learn. Patreon.com slash unfilter. That's how you go there to support this here podcast. If you'd like to help the show grow too, you can recommend it to a friend. Now, I know I'm pretty far into the show, but I'm going to mention that I'm experimenting with unfilter.tube. I'll have a video version of this show. Not all of the clips, but probably about 80% of the clips are video. They've always been video, and I'm just going to try to post from time to time over at unfilter.tube. I'm experimenting with overtime, which are additional clips that don't make it in the show, and I'm going to experiment with archiving live streams. So when the show's live, I'm going to try to post that at unfilter.tube so you can play it back. You get more clips, you get to watch it in video, all that kind of stuff. I'm playing with something here. What's been holding me up with video beyond just the production costs and time, but really it's been how do you distribute it with somebody like YouTube controlling a platform so tightly. But with PeerTube, a free decentralized video platform, you become part of the distribution network and they can't censor it. So I'm going to mess around with a little bit more, see where I can take it. Love to hear your feedback. Unfilter.tube. Check it out. 
And thank you for your support and sharing the show. Appreciate it very much. Unfiltered.show slash contact for your feedback. I think you and me, if you live in the States, I think we might have something in common. And I don't know what I don't want to I don't want to brand you, but at least myself, sometimes I feel like I'm not a very good American. I got this real moron thing I do. It's called thinking. <laughs> and I'm not a very good American because I like to form my own opinions. I don't just roll over when I'm told to. Sad to say most Americans just roll over on command. Not me. Thank you to the Discord for uh, linking up that classic right there. Uh, a real one of the wisest thinkers of our time. So let's talk about people who dare question the narrative because they clearly are dangerous. They are the new boogeyman and the GOP is trying to sort this out themselves. They don't want to be labeled the party of the conspiracy theorist. So they've got to make a strong stand. And it's up to Mitch to save the party, at least the grand old party. Republicans now in a battle for the soul of their party, facing a major test this week about whether they should purge their party of conspiracy-mongering conservatives or punish Republicans who stood up to Donald Trump. Their first test, Marjorie Taylor Greene, a freshman who dabbled in conspiracies such as spreading falsehoods about whether the 2018 massacre at a Parkland, Florida high school was staged. With more of Greene's controversial views coming to light... And top Republicans staying silent, Senate Republican leaders finally had enough. With the top Senate Republican, Mitch McConnell, calling out Green's loony lies and conspiracy theories, saying they amounted to a cancer for the party. I think I adequately spoke out about how I feel about any effort to define the Republican Party in such a way. But McConnell would not say if he should have pushed back earlier against Trump's conspiracy theories. Do you wish, though, you spoke out about Donald Trump's conspiracies about the election being stolen much earlier than you ultimately did? You didn't reject soon enough. You didn't. Re- that's the that, you know, got to always make sure that goalpost is moved because first goalpost is reject. Then if you reject, it's how soon did you reject? Well, With regard to the former president, we're going into an impeachment trial next week. Senator John Thune, the number two Republican, said today that House Republicans have to make a choice. Do they want to be the party of limited government or do they want to be the party of conspiracy theories and QAnon? Read the party of the populist movement. And I think that is a decision they have got to face. Some Republicans aren't taking sides yet. Before I judge what to do about her, I want to know what the facts are. But even close Trump allies said there's no room for Green's views. All right. So you see what's going on here, right? It's it's that she's on the Trump team, right? There's there's a lot of hand wringing and nest making happening on the right right now. Power structures are shifting. Tensions among House Republicans are coming to a head as they try to decide what and whom their party represents. Democrats are on the verge of expelling Georgia Republican Marjorie Taylor Greene from two top committees after videos emerged of her threatening Democratic leaders and harassing survivors of a school shooting. Meanwhile, some House Republicans are working to oust Liz Cheney from her position in GOP leadership over her vote to impeach former President Trump. NPR congressional correspondent Kelsey Snell is following all of this and joins us now. Hey, Kelsey. Hi there. 
All right, let's start with Marjorie Taylor Greene. What more can you tell us about exactly why Democrats want to remove her from the Education Committee specifically? This centers around details of her actions um, from before she was elected. They kind of resurfaced recently. You know, we she has repeatedly espoused debunked conspiracy theories, things like QAnon and theories that the 9-11 attack on the Pentagon and the Parkland school shooting were both hoaxes. And there is a video that shows her kind of harassing Parkland survivors. Uh, there are also videos from 2018 and 2019 of Green threatening top Democrats. And Democrats say they have no choice to, but to remove her from a committee that's tasked with writing education policy in addition to removing her from the budget committee. Hmm. Hakeem Jeffries, the chairman of the House Democratic Caucus, said the majority party said Green uh, is an example of a wider trend within the GOP. No choice. No choice but to remove her because she's so dangerous. Now, is she dangerous? I'll let you debate that. I'm not really interested in that discussion. I'm more interested in where that line is at. Where is that line? Is it because she believes in conspiracies? What what is it? That's, I think, the thing that we have to, I don't know, have a really frank conversation about. (laughs) I don't think we're able to, really. Continue on. Continuing on. um, That was an NPR report, by the way. Uh, Now, the thing is, behind the scenes, which has to be a bit of a factor here, is uh, Trump seems to be starting to get back to work. Former President Trump's team released a photo of him and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy in Florida. Trump's Save America PAC team said the pair had a good and cordial meeting at Trump's Mar-a-Lago Resort in Palm Beach. The two discussed a number of topics, but the top priority was taking back the House for Republicans in the 2022 midterms. They didn't elaborate on which candidates they intend to promote. The statement said Trump's popularity has never been stronger than it is today, and his endorsement means more than perhaps any endorsement at any time. So I think this is our obvious signal here that Trump intends to try to be a kingmaker. If he can't be in power, he wants to help put people in power. And of course, what metric is he going to use? This is Donald Trump. He's going to use how loyal people are to him. That's the only metric that really matters to Donald Trump. Trump will now work with McCarthy on boosting the GOP in the House races. And appearing on Fox News, former Trump campaign manager Corey Lewandowski said Trump would be involved in supporting primary challenges against the 10 Republicans who voted to impeach Trump earlier this month. Now, they're still having a good time, though, over at the White House press briefings. Jen Psaki was asked about Space Force and uh, had a bit of a chuckle. I made a determination about whether it will continue to extend the privilege of intelligence briefings to former President Trump. Oh, I should. I forgot this is on there, too. This has been the other thing that's come up a lot, is we have to cancel Trump's intelligence briefings. Given the concerns among some Democrats that he'll either misuse it or leverage it to enrich himself. Mm-hmm. This is a good question. I've raised it with our intelligence teams or our national security team, I should say. Same thing. Uh, it's something, obviously, that's under review, but um, there was not a conclusion last I asked him about it, but I'm happy to follow up on it and see if there's more to share. Just curious whether you think his absence has made your job any easier or the White House's job any easier as it kind of goes forward on these COVID negotiations. His absence being Trump. How about this? I'm just, you know, got to ask you the really hard questions here, Jen, because we have to hold the office accountable. How much easier is it now that that guy's out? Any easier or the White House's job any easier as it kind of goes forward on these COVID negotiations? This may be hard to believe. We don't spend a lot of time talking about or thinking about President Trump here. Former oh. President Trump, uh, to, to be very clear. You have to say former President Trump. Um, 
I think that's a question that's probably more appropriate for Republican members um, who um, are looking for ways to support a bipartisan package uh, and whether that gives them space. But uh, I can't say we miss him on Twitter. If there's a need for a rescue mission, when the world is threatened, when the world needs help, it calls on America. And that's the story. So I know you've been probably wondering, okay, but really, let's talk actual policy differences because that's what's going to really matter. Well, all right, let's talk policy differences. It seems the policy differences when it comes to the Middle East are are fairly significant. International troops are moving back into Syria. And the the Afghanistan drawdown has been essentially canceled. Troops plan to stay in Afghanistan beyond the May deadline agreed with the Taliban. That's according to four senior NATO officials who said there will be no full withdrawal of the 10,000 troops stationed there. The move is likely to increase tension with the Taliban, who said there will be consequences if the deal is violated. One NATO official told Reuters the circumstances had not been met for foreign troops to leave. Yeah, so there's been, um, uh, you know, a a violation of the deal. So uh, we're going to stay. We're just canceling that drawdown in Afghanistan. Stupid Trump. Stupid Trump. Uh, yeah, but uh, there is a silver lining. It seems that uh, we're pulling back on our support for the war against the civilians in Yemen. That, I will acknowledge, seems to be a positive direction. It would be nice to see our asses stay out of Syria, and it would be nice to see us withdraw in Afghanistan. Apparently, that's not going to happen, though. I, uh, that really just get, it just gets me. Wait, 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 wait. You're getting nervous, man. Just calm down. It's okay. You're right. You're right. You're right. Mommy needs a joint. Let's end it on a high note. Let's end this one on a high note. There is a very powerful member of Congress who seems to be pulling for legalization of cannabis. I I can't believe I'm about to say something positive about Chuck Schumer, but he wants to get baked. Chuck Schumer making headlines in an interview with Al Harrington, ex-NBA great, now cannabis operator, where he put forward the concept of an omnibus uh, type of a bill for legislation that would solve the capital markets issues, possibly the listing issues for cannabis companies, in addition to some of the complex issues on social and criminal justice. What does this mean? Uh, if any of this is is fast-tracked in, in the way it was suggested, this could mean re-rating for cannabis that would be uh, much sooner than investors had expected the federal legalization, even after all the bullishness of the Georgia runoffs and the, the understanding that uh, cannabis legislation could move faster. This would be a fast green light for cannabis. And it was an important headline for the industry. Yeah. Oh, uh. got to have that underplay, right? Otherwise, you might not listen. Uh, but it's it, this. This is real. What Chuck Schumer seems to be doing is real. I will present you Exhibit A of Chuck Schumer going on a show talking about cannabis legalization. And I think for context, I think I'm just going to play a little bit of this. Um, Check this out. Jersey, too. So where in Jersey? Where in Jersey are you from? I grew up in Orange, New Jersey. Of course, like uh, all good uh, interviews in 2020 and now early 2021, it starts over Zoom with them making awkward small talk as the stream starts. Got it. I know where it is. 
So I was a basket, knew who I was, and they wouldn't guard me. Oh, great move, Senator. Great layup. You sure got around me. <laughs> well, listen, I don't know what part of Brooklyn you was in that you was getting that kind of love. I've never seen people in Brooklyn be nice to anybody. Oh, we are the nicest people you'd ever want to meet at. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, hey, man, a lot of people would be surprised that, uh, you know, I got the sentiment, excuse me, the Senate majority leader sitting here talking about marijuana. So, you know, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, why does this issue, you know, why do you care about this issue? You know what I'm saying? Well, a couple of things, a couple of things out. Number one, you know, I believe in freedom, let people do what they want. And it became pretty apparent. What? <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Anyways. Yes, years ago that all these horror stories, you know, if you legalize marijuana, crime will go up. Well, states legalized it, crime didn't go up. If you legalize marijuana, everyone will become a big druggie. That didn't happen either. And also the havoc it created in the minority community and the unfairness. You know, a young man caught with a little marijuana in his pocket gets arrested, has a criminal record the rest of his life, can't get a good start, can't get things done. So I decided we should decriminalize it. Time has come and, you know, there was a lot of old logic. The fact that they, the federal government said that it's as big a crime to have marijuana as to have heroin was ridiculous. Just ridiculous. Everybody knew that. Yeah, everybody does know that. <laughs> so I decided I was the first leader of Democrats or Republicans to say, let's decriminalize, let's legalize. And I'm glad I did. Man, we're, we're, we're so happy that you did, and we're so happy that you continue to fight for that because, you know, you know, that's a lot of the purpose around my company as well. If you go onto YouTube and you search for uh, Blue Wave, could mean Green Wave, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but two weeks ago you'll see a bunch of videos were posted saying if the Democrats sweep, cannabis is going to take off. And I think Chuck wants to be at the front and center of that. This is his exit plan. And as Noonshire in the chat room points out, he looks baked. He really does. But this is his exit plan right here. You know he's going to get his ass kicked out soon. Eventually the populist wave will hit him. He knows what's coming. So he's going to get himself a nice, fat cannabis contract from some company because he'll go down in history as the first leader to push for this. So he'll become like an industry advocate. He looks like he's barely hanging on, so he's got to get it going fast. I'll, of course, be waiting to see how that turns out. <laughs> I guess I'm a little skeptical. <laughs> Links to everything I talked about and a lot more. There's more that I just get, didn't get in the show. If you're listening going, why didn't he talk about? Well, go check out the overtime. It's, it's very possible. It's in there. Unfilter.tube. And uh, maybe I'll try to put a link in the show notes at unfilter.show slash 347. While you're over there, find the subscribe link. Share the show with a friend. If there's a particular episode that touches on something that you think someone else might be interested in, please do me a favor. Share the show. Word of mouth is the best way for podcasts to grow. Unfiltered.show slash subscribe is where you can find the RSS feed. Thanks for joining me. See you right back here next week.